Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of American Billiard Radio. It is March 27th, 2014. My name is Mr. Bond, and I will once again be your host. And once again, we got a great show lined up for you. We're going to be talking to some cool people, the least of which is uh, Mr. Brad Simpson, author of uh, The Blue Book of Pool Cues. But first, there's a couple of congratulations in order. Um, the eight potential members of the new Moscone Cup team have been announced for this year. And we want to send them a shout out and tell them, uh, you know, wish them good luck. Shane, John, Corey, Brandon, Justin, Oscar, Jeremy, Justin. Best of luck to you. And uh, hope you guys can uh, do well to represent us. And uh, we're, we're behind you 100%. That's a lot of pressure uh, to represent uh, the country like that. And, of course, in Blackpool, you know, it, that's going to be tough with the, uh, for the, with the majority of the crowd uh, rooting for, uh, for not for the USA. Anyway, keep your head in the game and, uh, and do well. And make us proud. And now, of course, on with the show. We're talking with uh, Mr. Brad Simpson. How you doing, Brad? Uh, you're out there by uh, Galesburg, Illinois. Is that right? Doing great. That is correct. Galesburg, south of the Quad Cities and west of Peoria. Now, so you guys have obviously been getting the... Uh, the same sort of brutal weather that we've been getting out uh, over here, more or less. Yep, it just snowed here yesterday morning. I woke up and looked out, and it was all white. Uh, yeah, me too. I was pretty surprised. I had convinced myself that it was more or less over with, but uh, I guess I was just wishful thinking there for a while. Well, you know, somebody said it was supposed to snow, but I didn't really believe it until I looked out the window. It just... It feels too late in the... Yeah. In, I think it's it's spring now, isn't it? It is. It is. I Technically think, speaking, it is spring. Yeah, it's not supposed to snow. No, it's not. It's not. Well, you know, just... We'll put our minds together and, and, and deflect it, you know, over into Wisconsin or something like that. I think we can... Very good. <laughs> yeah, they can have it. They can have it. Um, so, there is actually a reason for this conversation. Um since you're this uh, esteemed author, tell me about how you got um, wrapped up in the Blue Book of Cues. Well, my background, actually family background, is in antique and collector firearms. Okay. And my father, my father's built one of the biggest uh, shops in the world for collector firearms. We have thousands and thousands of guns, you know, from World War II all the way back to you name a war where they use guns, and, and we've probably got one. Ah, okay. Cool. So, um, I was one of the editors, I still am, for the Blue Book of Gun Values. Ah. And, uh, you know, I've, I've edited the Luger section, which is really my specialty. Um, the Luger pistol, which was 
used by the Germans from 1908 until 1942. It was their standard issue sidearm. And, you know, my father is one of the top experts in the world, and and I have uh, become one of the top experts in the world and have also published books on them. But anyway, I was one of the editors for the Blue Book of Gun Values, and at the same time, my hobby has always been playing pool. Okay. I, uh, I've i played leagues since I was a teenager. I played ACUI when I was in college. I was the champion at uh, Western Illinois University. I was runner-up on the way to playing in the Nationals in the early 90s. And, uh, you know, so with my with my knowledge of collector firearms and my interest in pool, I automatically became interested in cues. Yeah. There was a lot of similarities. And, uh, you know, I just became fascinated with cues. And, and when I started, there was really nothing out there. There was an occasional article about cues and Billiards Digest or the Snap or Pool and Billiards. But right. other than that, there was very little. And uh, very true. I actually, when I, when I heard about the Billiard Encyclopedia, um, I got in contact with Victor Stein and Paul Rubino and provided them with pictures of some of my stuff. And uh, one of my Gus Sambodi cues ended up, actually two of my Gus Sambodi cues ended up in the first edition Billiard Encyclopedia. Nice. So, uh, you know, I was featured in a uh, in a magazine article in a magazine that Blue Book Publications published, and they asked me a standard question that they asked... Uh, gun dealers, and that was, what kind of guns do you collect? And I said, you know, I'm around guns all day, and when I get out of the office, I don't talk about them, I don't look at them, I don't shoot them, I don't hunt. My <laughs> hobby is playing pool, and I collect pool cues. Ah, okay. Well, anyway, the, the head of the publishing company read the article, and uh, he said, tell me a little bit more about pool cues. Has anybody written a book about them? And I said, no. And he said, would anybody buy a book about them? And I said, you know, (laughs) I think they probably would, you know. A lot of people have them, and there is a collector market, and there's a custom market. You know, everything that you have in firearms. And and it's similar, you know. You've got... uh, Different models, different custom makers, different uh, eras, different conditions, um, on and on. There are a lot of similarities. And they said, well, if you would write a book about them, we'll publish it. We just want it to uh, look like a blue book. You know, we have our uh, condition grading system and, you know, we want it to be alphabetical and, and we want this and that. And at first I, I thought to myself, man, that would be a ton of work. <laughs> yeah. I really don't want to do that. And then, you know, I thought about it for a while and I thought, um, I know enough about collectibles that I know that whoever writes the book gets the reputation as the expert, whether they are or not. <laughs> and they also get the opportunity and, and the, the reputation to where they get to look at all of the good stuff. Yeah. And I thought, you know, I like cues enough. I'd like to be in that world. I'd like to get mm-hmm. to know everybody. 
Right. I think it would be an educational experience. And, uh, you know, so I, I called him up and said, hey, you know, I've thought about this, and, and I would like to do this. Yeah. So it, it went from there. Excellent. So I printed up a bunch of business cards. I went to the to the uh, Super Billiards Expo and the BCA, handed out business cards, told everybody what I was trying to do. You know, half of them said I was crazy. <laughs> a few people told me that uh, that some other people had stepped up and said they were going to do a book. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it never happened. Right, right. And, yeah. and you know, I've never written a book before. So, and I was, I was really in way over my head. Yeah. But I just kept grinding away. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, got as much information as I could. Got a lot of help from Victor Stein and Paul Rubino. You know, they really laid the groundwork with the Billiard Encyclopedia. Yeah, yeah. But it was a different kind of book. You know, it was a full-color picture book with stories. It wasn't that much about identification. It wasn't about value. Um, you know, the areas that they didn't cover were talking specifically about how they were marked, when they were marked, yeah. um, what they tended to be worth. You know, and the hard part about cues was the custom cues are all different. Yes. So I decided the main the main factors in value on. Um, custom cues was number one who made them which was alphabetical and number two how fancy they were you know obviously a cue that's loaded up with ivory is worth more than a than a sneaky beat generally if if by the same maker sure and uh number three is what condition they're in so you know that's how i move forward take Mm -hmm. every cue maker um, try to get a picture of them, try to get a picture of some of their cues, try to get a brief bio, talk about how long they've been making cues, you know, put it in a format where you can just look them up and say, okay, here's here's this guy, here's how his cues are marked. You know, a lot of people will, will get a cue and it'll have a mark on it. Well, depending on what the letters are, they can look it up alphabetically and say, oh yeah, that's that guy and here's how he marks them and here's how long he's been making cues and Here's a few of the cues he makes, and here's how much they cost. And, you know, here's how much his cues tend to bring on the resale market, starting with a sneaky peek all the way up to a super fancy cue. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, it, it wasn't perfect, and a lot of the prices were inconsistent or, you know, uh, wrong. But I was starting from a point where I could walk into a pawn shop and a typical pawn shop would price pool cues for 100 or $200, and they didn't know if it was a Miyuchi or a Joss West or a Balabushka. You know, they had no idea. Right. So <laughs> just the idea of coming up with a book and establishing that there was different kind of, kinds of cues and, uh, you know, different values. <laughs> there were cues out there that were worth tens of thousands of dollars. You know, that was a new thing. And I do think it really helped the Q market because, uh, you know, the, the first book came out in 96, and that's right around the time the ACA was really picking up and they were starting to do shows. And, you know, they had their art shows and they were awarding uh, Q makers for, you know, Best Q and Best Q maker, and they had a Hall of Fame. And it seems like, you know, from the time I wrote the book, definitely until now. There must be three times as many key makers now as there was when I 
when I did the first one. Yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> That's for sure. There is a lot of shoemakers, man. Which yep. brings up a really good question, you know. Um, what do you think, uh, you know, I'm just trying to think of the right way to word this. What do you think the biggest difference is in the market from the time that you began until now? I mean, other than the fact that there's more cue makers. I would say the biggest difference is the Chinese imports. Because, um, you know, when I played league back as a, as a teenager, you went to the bars and everybody was playing. In, in my neck of the woods, people were playing generally with McDermott's and Vikings. Yeah, the McDermott's. You know, because, uh, you know, they were the local manufacturers. Yeah. And both companies make great cues. And, you know, I think if you went out east, you'd see more Adams. And if you, uh, you know, if you went south, you'd see Muchis. You know, and there were a few Muchis on, uh, in my area. But basically, everybody that played pool league would spend 100 or $200 on a cue and get something like that. And a few people... You know, there were a few shows which were more expensive, and occasionally you'd have a guy with a jazz list, or, um, you know, I'm in a small town in Illinois. I didn't see any Bush or Zambonis. So yeah. I'd never seen one until I, I uh, really got started <laughs> on, on the book, believe it or not. You know, um, and you know what? That's not true. I had bought a Gus Zamboni when I was in college from a kid whose dad bought it new. So, uh, but I had, I didn't see a Balabushka for a long time. But, you know, with uh, with my experience in firearms, I have a good knowledge of finishes and woods and, and how different materials age. And so, you know, knowing roughly when they made cues, when people showed me something claiming to be that, I, I could at least tell them, yeah, this looks like uh, it has potential based on the age of it. Right, right. Well, I'm sure also that uh, the the economic uh, status quo... Sure, the economy, well, you, you know, know when I was also a has, Yeah, it has something to do with uh, the market going up and down and... And whether you're East Coast or West Coast, that kind of thing? When I was a kid, we had four manufacturers in Galesburg. And now we don't have any of them. So, you know, the middle class guys that were on pool league that were going out, you know, they had they had full time jobs, they had health care, they had a pension, yeah. and they could go out and spend two hundred dollars on a queue, which which uh, thirty years ago would be like spending five hundred today. Mm-hmm. And now, now that working class does not exist so much around here, and a lot of the guys are buying hundred dollar cues, mm-hmm. you know, and they're not made in America. And and you know, I'm not going to run down the Chinese cues as uh, being inferior, but it's just not the same. Right. Oh yeah, I agree. I agree. There's, there's, it's for for a lot of different reasons, uh, you know. Like you and, said, and, I'm not necessarily dissing the country that they're coming from, but it's certainly not the same as having something uh, made locally. Um, 
Well, you know, you had real Irish linen wrap, and the inlays were real. I mean, okay, on uh, on a McDermott or on a Miucci, some of the inlays were plastic, uh, same with Viking. But, you know, now you you see decals on cues, you know, oh, where yeah. it's just basically a piece of wood with with a decal on it. Yeah. And, you know, the wrap might be just a rubber sleeve, you know, like you'd find <laughs> on a golf club. <laughs> Yeah, or it's the it's the nylon string uh, dipped in uh, acrylic, clear acrylic to look like uh, <laughs> uh, like right, it's exactly. uh, yeah, it's uh, it's terrible. But, but I would say the dif- you asked me the difference between now and then, and the difference is I think overall people played with much nicer cues thirty years ago. Yeah, probably so. Probably average Joe did at least the average player anyway. Yep. The, the average serious player. Hey, let me take a quick break, and um, we will come back and, and talk a little bit more about that. And we're back, everybody, and I am talking with um, Brad Simpson. He is the author of the Blue Book of Pull Cues. And we were just talking a little bit about uh, how that all came about to begin with. Um, you know, um, you are you a member of the ACS? I just, I, I just heard that they had their uh, statewide Illinois State Pool Championship. Is that correct? Yep. Yep, I played in that. We... Uh... We brought a team from Galesburg. I was lucky to be on the team, and uh, there were six of us, great bunch of guys. And I think there were 117 teams, if I heard right. Wow. And I believe we got seventh, eighth, which, uh, you know, I was happy for a small town. And, and uh, you know, no really well-known players on the team. And uh, I thought we did really well. We definitely beat some teams that uh, didn't expect us. <laughs> to to beat them, so that's always a good feeling when you come in as the underdog and you prevail. Yeah, I looked that's into that. Right. That's a pretty big damn tournament, uh, from what I understand. There, there was a lot of lot of teams out there. That's uh, well, you know, that's a good you know, sign. Uh, it, it was at Pheasant Run in St. Charles, and that's where mm-hmm. uh, Willard used to have his big uh, Windy City Windy City tournaments in the ah. same room at the Mega Center at Pheasant okay. Run. Okay. Okay. Excellent. So seventh place, huh? Well, that's not bad. Yeah. That's yeah. not too shabby. I guess you guys must play uh, better than I do, I would imagine. I uh, don't know how you play, but uh, <laughs> I, I, can, I can get out when I'm lucky. Ah, good, good, good. Well, as, yeah, as, much, as many times uh, as you get your hands on decent cues, you shouldn't have any excuses left uh, in the book there uh, to, you know, well, you know, one thing that surprises me, I have played pool with a lot of cue makers, and um, virtually all of the cue makers are very good players. You know, that seems to be a common theme. And the collectors, too, surprisingly. Yeah. Although... Know. No, go ahead. You know, I, I guess it's not surprising, but uh, I think... I think if you're a player and you really want to be a great player, but you just don't quite have it, 
You either uh, fill that <laughs> point by making cues or collecting cues, one or the other. The question had come up. Um, somebody asked me about that, actually, and they said, uh, you know, why, where do the cue maker, where, where do they come from? Is it, are they players that want a better cue or are they woodworkers just looking for a niche or are they artists looking for a medium? You know, and, and I said, you know, I guess you all of the above. Right. You and I said, I think, names and give you all yeah, of the above. I think you'd have to ask the cue maker themselves, uh, you know, what it is that brought them into that. Um, because it probably one mold, you know, they don't all fit the same mold, basically, is what it boils right. down to. Well, you know, the cues that are that are the most artistic tend to be from the guys with from the more artistic backgrounds. The cues that hit really good tend to be from the guys that that play the game. Sure. Um, you know, all of the above, and and uh, you know, woodworkers that like to play pool get into it. Pool players that uh, figure they could uh, make a better cue. Right. Artists, artists that like the game, uh, all of the above. What do you think? Um, how does a how did? Well, let me see if I can rephrase that. What was the criteria for getting into the book? I mean, what makes a cue collectible or or noteworthy, as the case may be, or is it uh, is that just as subjective? Well, you know, there was no criteria for getting into the first book because. It was a battle for me to get people to want to be involved. <laughs> so basically, if you made a pool cue that was yours, and you know it it was functional, and you gave me uh, a, a decent story about yourself, and gave me some basic information, you know how how uh, what your standard specs were and what you like to do enough that I could do a nice write up for you in the book. You got in. There was nobody where I said, hey, you know... Uh, You're not cool enough. <laughs> uh, right. No, not at all. <laughs> well, no, well, that's uh, I, I good. I was pretty, you know, I was, I was willing to accept anyone. And I think, uh, you know, the last edition was the third edition. And uh, I don't remember getting anybody that I said, you know, this guy just doesn't belong in the book. Well, I think that's fair, you know. If it's a... If it's a blue book, sure. it's a blue book. You know what I mean? There's uh, right. you, you, you. And it's funny. Can't really. It's funny after the up. after the first book came out, I got a few people saying, "Hey, I'm more important than this guy, but he's got four pages and I've only got three. Why is that?" I say, "Well, you know, he provided a lot more information. I just had a lot more to work with with, right, with right. him. You know, and and you know, some people thought." Hey, you know, they weren't worth my time, so they didn't get as much. Uh, uh, or, I'm sorry, they thought uh, that I wasn't worth their time. That's what I meant to say. Yes, exactly. So, so you know, and people would look at the book and say, "Well, he kind of snubbed that guy," and it wasn't like that at all. You know, what was, was the? Um, what do you feel like is the? Uh the earliest or oldest 
um, Q-Maker, is it Rambo? Is he the the earliest, or is there people prior to that that you have in there? Well, you know, you've got the old uh, marketry cues. Um, sure. But but they're not attributed to a single maker that I know of. Right, right, right. So, um, so you know, yeah, I think the I think the first guy that that really made a name for himself that I know of as a cue maker was Rainbow. Right. And that really started with Brunswick. You know, he worked for Brunswick. Sure, sure. And sure. then he then he went off on his own. And um, you know, then you had Martin out uh, in California. Mm-hmm. And. And you know, then Paradise and and uh, Balabushka, and, and I know I'm forgetting people, but uh, yeah, it was a different era back then. And you know, the top players, they would play with these guys' cues. Right. You know? Yeah. A lot of top players, they either played with a Rambo or right. they played with a Martin. Right. Depending on you know East Coast, uh, uh, the piloted. Uh, Metal joint versus uh, West Coast uh, flat paced ivory joint. You know, you know or, and the uh, difference or, I think, um, and one thing of note anyway. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but uh, th- there's a difference between then and now that that jumps out at me is absolutely. that uh, the pros back then, the guys that wanted a Rambo or wanted a Zambodi. Uh, they wanted them because they performed. They wanted the best playing cue. They didn't. Sure. They didn't want a custom cue because they wanted it to look better than something else. They wanted it sure. because it was believed to perform better than anything else. Whereas today, sure. you've got got guys that are mad about custom cues um, because they want something that's sexier than the next guy's cue. You know, and there's okay. nothing. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. I just think that that's. Uh, I think that at the at Rambo's introduction into the market is where the crossover took place. Correct. I agree with that, yes. And, you know, it, like you say, it was a different era. If you looked at the world championships for 20 years, either Rambo or Martin or later Balabushka, you know, that's what those guys were winning tournaments for. Right, right, exactly. And... And now, of course, it's Predator and Mez and, you know, it's manufacturers. Yes, they make a great cue and they're low deflection and they're accurate, but they're a mass manufactured cue. Right. And and typically the guy who's winning the tournament is being paid to play with that cue. Right. As opposed to him having gone out and decided. And, 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 yeah, and having a, yes, want. exactly. And having a custom cue, a, a custom performance cue made for their specs that's right like i said I, that i think is the difference from then till now yeah there's there are custom makers that make uh that make uh, great cues oh, and you sure. know the well they the, all make great the biggest cues. women's tournament now is uh is the amway tournament in taiwan and um that was one the women's tournament was one with a custom cue so very nice so yeah, it's it still happens, but it used to be the rule, and now it's the exception to the rule. Right, exactly. Speaking of uh, other countries, do they feel the same way about? Um, well, let me ask this question in two parts. Are there, okay. uh, to your knowledge, with the countries that you are familiar with? Because I know that you travel a little bit with the con- the countries that you're familiar with. 
do they have as many cue makers there, A, and B, are they as sort of nutty uh, about custom collectibles as they are in the United States? Um, on the first question, do they have as many cue makers? No. I mean, there seems to be the highest, highest uh, per capita number of cue makers in this country than there are anywhere else. Mm-hmm. You know, there are a few in Europe. There are a few in the Philippines. Um, you've got a couple manufacturers and makers in Japan. I know I spend a lot of time in Thailand, and there have been a few cues made in Thailand, a pool and snooker. But no, nothing like here in the United States. Mm. And as far as collectors, I would say it's the same. Okay. You know, most of the collectors per capita are here in the United States. You know, there are well-known collectors in Japan, Hong Kong, sure. Singapore. Um, I can think of a few in Europe. But uh, not like here. I think I think most of the of the good collector cues stay in the United States. Okay. Yeah, I understood. Uh, like you said, uh, in Asia, Japan, um, Philippines. I know that there are some collectors down there. I just don't know the extent. You know what I mean? I just didn't know uh, if they were as uh, as right. and, and I'm not prolific as they are either, here. You know, sure. I, I do business in other countries, but uh, generally not with cues, so sure, yeah. I might not be the right person to ask. You know, I'm not <laughs> a full-time cue dealer. Yeah. Uh, the nice thing for me, having having written the books, is people will get a hold of my book, and they'll have an old cue, and they'll call me. So mm-hmm. it has put me in a position where I, I get offered a lot of stuff, <laughs> and I get the opportunity to buy some really good stuff. Oh yeah, and with that comes the opportunity to sell some really good stuff. But um, do you have you a know, favorite I'm, style? I'm a favorite style? Well, a you know, favorite prefer... style. Um, you know, I mean, I don't want to say a favorite maker because there's uh, you know a lot of t- to choose from. But uh, sure, I play with a custom cue. It's flat faced, uh, three eighths eleven. You know, I like ivory ferrules. My cue's a 59. Um, my teacher was Mark Wilson, who's a great teacher. And uh, Yay, Mark Wilson. You know, con- congratulations <laughs> to him uh, becoming Moscone Cup captain. Yeah, I think man. He's the right guy. Yeah, yeah. I wish him. I wish him all the best. He's he's got a tough he's got a tough battle ahead of him because yes, uh, he does. Obviously, after the last uh, after the last one, what was it, eleven to two? And, you know, the yeah. Europeans, they've, they've got the right attitude. They've got the right fundamentals. Yes, they they've do. got the right mental game. And on top of that, they can field a team where everyone's a yes. world champion. Yes, yes. You know, it's... Well, and they got the right fans, too. The, they, the, the guys that are going to show up. All above. And yes. It, and it's going to be... Uh, going to be in Blackpool. So, mm-hmm. They're so, going uh, to go ape at that place during this event. Yeah, so, so I mean, it's going to be home field advantage, mm-hmm. a bunch of world champions with a super strong team. and You know, he's he's got to go up against that. And I, I think he's the right guy for the job. Great teacher. Yeah, 
I can't really and think great, of and uh, great anybody coach. better. But anyway, where I was going, you asked me about my cue. You know, sure. he's a believer that um, you have proper fundamentals, and then you know, given the right stance, the cue should fit your stance. Yes, and using using his uh, approach, I would play with about a sixty-one inch cue. And you know, the longer a cue gets, the more it whips, and the less yeah. feel it has. Yeah. So, you know, standard is 58. I could really play with a 61, but I play with a 59. I think it's the best compromise between um, what really fits me and what I find playable. Well, thank you for your insights. Thank you for your information. We certainly do appreciate it. And um, I'm going to wish you the best in 2014. And uh, we will talk to you again soon, I'm sure. Looking forward to it. Thank you. I'm Scott Lee, PBIA Master Instructor from Largo, Florida. And I'm Randy Gutlicker, PBIA Master Instructor from the Lone Star State. Dallas, Texas. Yes. And today's topic on the One Minute Pool Instructor is the horse and the cart. There's a very common saying out there, don't put the cart before the horse. What does that mean for pool instruction, Randy? Well, you get the cart before the horse, so let's break the two things down. Number one, the horse is ourself. The horse is the stroke. The horse is the engine. All right. The cart is the skills, the jump shots, kick shots, bank shots, draw shots, stop shots, that we learn that are dependent upon how well my horse is. And it also includes your stroke mechanics and your uh, eye patterns. Eye everything. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the horse is the engine, the cart is the trailer, and, and you just can't get them backwards. In, in my 40 years of teaching, I see this to be very apparent. I go out and I watch a lot of pool players who can jump the ball, kick the ball, and bank the ball better than most people, and yet maybe can't run two or three balls in a row. And, and that's not right. Their stroke breaks down every shot. They just get lucky two, three times in a row. So you have to work on the horse. Your stroke has to be number one, and then the cart is easy. We can add any skill you want to a good stroke. Well, and then talking about this uh, as instructors, what we see many times are uh, people trying to teach pool where they are less concerned about a person's stroke mechanics and more concerned about how do I shoot this shot. Wow, and, and yeah, I think that's the norm teaching. And that's what sets us a little bit different from, from the other instructors is uh, we're going to work on your mechanics first. We're going to make sure the horse can pull uphill, downhill, and run when it has to run. Uh, I think you can find shots in a book. You can go play pool and find shot making. But you to can. work on your stroke, you need help. Well, and the, and the real uh, important factor is 
We don't get three tries. No, we don't. If we got three tries, we'd all be Ephraim. Yeah. But we don't. We have to come with it in one, and that's why the first thing that we focus on, and what we believe any uh, good instructor should focus on, is the stroke. And, and how long does that take? Oh, it takes as long as it takes. It's, it, it's taken me a lifetime to get my stroke comfortable because I started on the wrong foot. I had all my skills. I was the smartest pool player I knew and yet couldn't perform the shots. We sure see that a lot. And that's, uh, that's why it's so important to uh, spend a lot of time developing an accurate and repeatable stroke. Then we get into actually how to play the game. Yeah, that horse can, can run freely then, can it? Sure can. So the cart and the horse. Let's let the horse pull the cart, huh? Amen. Keep your, keep your uh, horse healthy and your stroke will be stealthy. Yes, it will. <laughs> you might even get wealthy. You might. All right. So what's next week? Well, next week uh, we're going to go right into speed control. We're going to oh. tell you about how our brain works and uh, the best way for us to learn how to move that cue at different speeds. All right, see you next week. I'm Randy G. I'm Scott Lee, and this has been the One Minute Pool Instructor. Allison Fisher of NYCGrind.com. Joining me this week is internationally touring pro Hunter Lombardo. How are you doing, Hunter? Doing well, Allison. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being with us. We're here at Amsterdam Billiards in New York City, which has kind of become your home base here in New York over the last few months. Yeah, actually, um, I'm still I still live in Florida, and I mean I'm always going to be a Floridian no matter what. But uh, I've been here in New York now since uh, end of August. So in between events, um, I've been pretty much stationed here because it's just uh, the pool scene here is um, unlike anywhere else. Um, everybody loves to play. Everybody is dying to get better. So um, it's a great place for me to be uh, because I can, uh, I can actually help. And it also, in, 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 in other ways, helps me because it keeps me even more focused and wanting to train and, um, you know, always also better my game. In your opinion, what do you think sets New York apart in terms of pool and its accessibility? Uh, well, I mean, you look at it, this is an island, okay, that we're on at the moment. So uh, there's only so much you can do on an island. And uh, when you have millions and millions of people on an island, <laughs> there's only so many places to go. So you're going to get a, a huge flux of uh, people. And once they find something they enjoy and they, they spread the word to others, uh, what do you think it's going to happen? I mean, we're all like we're like canned sardines here. Right. It's a little bit self-containing. Yeah. So there's only there's only so much that can go around, but at the same time, there's unlimited potential too. Yep, that's right. So why don't we start out with um, talking a little bit about your background and helping our listeners get to know who you are and how you've um, come up as a pro. Okay, yeah, my background isn't really your uh, typical, like, um, pool room story. Uh, you know, I, I, I started playing at 16, and then um, by the time I was, like, 18, 19, I was actually a pretty good player. Um, you know, I'd won, like, on the Florida tour, and um, really, you know, I was, I was making waves when it came into the you know in the south where I lived 
Um, but then I actually took a change, a uh, change in pace with my life uh, when I was like around 23. And I quit playing, and I quit playing for five years almost um, to get involved as a broker. I got involved in the real estate business. Mm. And so, um, I, you know, I just, I needed to see what, God forbid, if something happened, could I do anything else besides pool? Because um, pool was all that I knew. I mean, even though I graduated high school and I never finished my, like, associate's degree at community college, I there was always that like that insecurity that I had of like well what happens if pool was taken away from me or I couldn't play um could I do anything else and I found it very easy to not only survive but to thrive in corporate America and that actually working in my opinion was a lot easier than life that I was living because if I did my job and did what I was supposed to do uh I got paid and I'm sure like everybody out there knows that you can play great pool and not get paid so um, it was it was it was refreshing in some ways, and then of course uh, eye-opening in others. Because when the market did fall apart, and I had to, you know, I got to that complacent stage, and I said, "Man, what am I going to do now?" Um, I found myself drawn back to pool, so I started playing again, and that was, you know, right around like 2008, almost 2009, and then. Um, and then I've been considered a professional player since 2010. So the market fell out and you decided to give pool another shot. Yeah, it's just, it was, uh, you know, what, what can I say? You know, it was, it, was that one, it was that one great relationship that I had in my life. And then how, how we end up uh, going different, separate ways, uh, we did. But, I don't know, found each other again. So had to give it another run. What were some of the, and I should say, what are still some of the things that keep you engaged in the game and keep you interested well it kind of suits my the way I think my personality I'm a little bit of a perfectionist and I tend to find that this is just something that I just don't know if you can be perfect at it I mean I try to play perfect shape or I might try to you know strike the ball perfect but I'm always finding um, things could be better and I think that's the alluring part of it that is always keeping me engaged, always keeping me involved. I, I mean, it, there's never a, really a, a dull day that goes by. I mean, here I think I might have it figured out, and then the next day, you know, I'm having a trouble. I'm having trouble trying to see the shot, and so it's just it's keeping me on my toes constantly. I couldn't agree more. For me personally, it's uh, it's a lot the same. Like ongoing challenges, and you're never approaching the table in the same perspective or the same situation. So you have something to always push you. That's right. Uh, abs absolutely. And um, you know, pool's a very demanding art. A lot of people don't understand that. And it's also a perishable art. So if you are not practicing and you're not training, and you're not um, if there's things that you're disliking about your game and you're wanting it to, to change, well, you have to work, okay? And everybody out there thinks that, well, what separates the great players from just the decent players is talent. That's, that's not true because there comes a point in time where uh, hard work works when talent doesn't want to work hard. So I've seen a lot of talented players that, yes, did they have the makeup? Um, the genes to you know be one of the best of course they did but 
if your if your work ethic sucks, um, then you're gonna get what you give. And the same thing goes with like the to the players in like leagues and, and, and aspiring players that, um, you know, if you're doing the same thing over and over and you're expecting a different result and you're not getting it, that's insanity. So that that, that means you have to something has to change. Right. So you either need to really start being honest with yourself or you need to get help. You need to get help. And, and what I mean by that, not like mental help, okay? <laughs> well, maybe in some cases. I'm not cases. discounting anybody out there, but, uh, yeah, well, I mean, I, know I could use it every once in a while. But just uh, don't be afraid. You know, if you see a great player out there or, or there's a great player that you admire um, and you get the chance to speak with them or um, if they live in the same town as you or you find that they, they help people or, or teach, I mean, you have to set your pride to the side. Right. And and surrender to the fact that look, um, you, you probably have taken yourself as far as you can, and that you need some out. You need to outsource help. So I mean, that's that's. I mean, it, listen, I'm constantly searching all around the world for people um, that can help me with my game because I'm I'm a student of the game too. And and Allison, really, there's no difference between you and I, and and everybody that I come in contact with is just maybe I'm a little further along the path than right. you guys are, but we're, we're pretty much all going in the same direction. You know, if you're wanting to get better and you're wanting to be a better player, then we're on the same path because I'm, I'm doing the same. Yeah, I think that's a really important point that people may miss out on is that you have to step outside your bounds of uh, the comfort zone. That's right. It's not all about doing what feels good. It's stepping out and trying to make uh, make the necessary changes and people don't always like to change and admit that they're doing something wrong or not in not in the most uh, productive way and the best way to put it is is you have to learn how to be comfortable in being uncomfortable I can't give you enough examples uh, there's there's so many times that you know even when you're playing and you're uncomfortable or you're not liking conditions or it could have been anything um, uh, the list is endless with the variables that can that can show up, but you have to learn to be able to like center yourself and control the things that you can control, and that being yourself. Right. And what kind of and what and how much meaning you place on what's happening at that moment. So, uh, I mean, I'm one of the few Americans that actually is not just playing here in the states, but I'm playing internationally at any chance that I get, and because I want to be able to compete in all conditions and, and condition myself. It's about conditioning. Um, you know, when you see, a lot of people might say, well, Hunter, wow, you know, we love how you play. We just don't know why you're not a world champion. Why, how can you not be number one? Well, yeah, well, maybe fundamentally, uh, maybe the physical part of the game, I have as much or maybe more than other, everybody. But it, it comes down to some of my decision-making and that's something that I'm also always working on. And you know your thoughts, and I mean, there, there is no logic to emotion. So when emotion starts getting involved in a game that demands very much you to be, like, in the present, in the now, and you start letting that emotion get the best of you, forget it. You're just, uh, <laughs> oh my God, you know, really, it's uh, become quite a sideshow. I'm taking notes here, Hunter. I'm taking notes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, now, I think one of the really relevant things that you might have some insight on is the dynamic between where the American players are at on 
you know, on a on a large on a, on a wide reaching scale, and where the international, uh, European, Asian, etc. You know, it's been a big, big debate. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, I um, you know, I tell it how it is, and I'm the type of person you either gonna you either gonna you either gonna hate me or love me. So I'm not trying to win people over. Um, I'll tell you, we are so behind when it comes to the aspect you're asking me about, the Americans versus the Europeans versus, uh, forget it, we're not even close. Anybody to, else? We're not even close to what China's like. Um, our, our, basically, our methods, our, the way we train here in the States, um, our work, it comes down again, our work ethic, it sucks. It's pathetic. And right. so, again, you know, if anything, we, we're a superpower. Okay, our country is a superpower, but yet in in this department, when it comes to pool, um, because pool's not really pool's recognized. See, see, this is where it gets real backwards. Is that see here in the states, pool's recognized as a game. See, but in but in Europe and Asia, it's recognized as a sport. Right. And what I find funny is that here it is, we have all the money, and yet we treat it like a game. And then of course they have it as a sport, but they don't have quite all the money in it so you see where the backward where how, how it gets backwards yeah and that again decision making boils down to decision making a lot of the decision makings that yeah. yeah again you know uh, you know I was once told that uh, you know don't treat anything or anyone with respect that you treat as a priority and they treat you as an option and it, it this is what happens with it now I'm, I'm hoping now that with uh, the way that uh, Moscone Cup's going to be this year, um, that with like Mark Wilson, how he he talked about it, that how he's going to train the guys and make them do, you know, certain things and prepare them. I, I really hope that that happens. Um, you know, so I, I you know I, I wish him I wish him all the best. You know, I would have loved to have been um, out there because I know I would have given it 100 percent, and I know what it takes to. Um, you know what it's going to take to win in these conditions. So, I again, I hope that you know Mark's a super intelligent guy, and um, I've always liked how his uh, approach on things is. So, maybe he'll be the catalyst that eventually it, 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 it starts. It starts to where now we'll start taking it more serious. And uh, you know, so if uh, America has a nice win come this December, um, and one of again one of the causes for that win was you know proper training and and, and actually um, being accountable for your actions you know on and off the court um, then you know there's hope there's hope yeah I think there's a whole new range of possibilities that can be opened up with having an actual coach an actual right. trainer to work with these guys and the fact that there are going to be some new players is both exciting and a little bit uh you know unpredictable yeah that's right they're going to be in a very very tough atmosphere over in blackpool it's going to be extreme it's going to be the biggest pressure cooker that some of those guys have probably ever yeah, experienced and, and i'm you know again i mean it can go either way i mean they could go out there and due to not having that experience it doesn't affect them at all and they just they could run over europe right or you know again it could go the opposite 
opposite side of the spectrum and um, they end up um, getting totally consumed um, with with just the vibe over there and you know and then it just holds precedence over you know them focusing on their game so it's a coin flip right I think that it could boil down to how the dynamic of the team can really does it do they congeal the chemistry, the chemistry? Yeah. does that really I think that's the one of the biggest decisions that Mark is going to have is forming a team that can really bond and have that needed chemistry that can support each other and encourage each other and not let the uh, the egos and other aspects get in the way it's a it's bigger than all of that yeah yeah and uh, again I, I I wish them all the best I, I think there probably should have been um, more players I, I think it should have been weeded down maybe there should have been a total of like say 12 to 15 players and um, over a, a few months span just um, you then weed it down to the five players um, so I, th I think there that's my that was my only indifference with the way things have gone this year is that there's still a handful of players um, that I feel would have been great for the team and um, you know they weren't really given a chance you know what I mean it was just kind of like based on a, on a pick but there, there should have been, I think, a little bit more done with it. Well, I think uh, you make a lot of solid points, and it should be very, very interesting to see how everything unfolds for the team and for the the entire event in general. It's going to be at a brand new venue too, so that will be exciting, I think, for everyone involved. Yeah. Now let's. Uh, what I wanted to also talk about was your some of the things that you're current currently working on I know that we spoke prior about some new multimedia endeavors that you're working on yeah um, you know one of my best friends uh, Torsten Holman he you know he's always really been great in this area I mean not just with himself but he's really tried to even push me not just as a friend but as a player um, that hey hunter you got to get out there more you you have to let know you have to let people know what's going on with you um, because they're interested but, you know, I've always been kind of like a private person, so that's just not something you can just change overnight. And so I, I am getting better about it. Uh, right now in the process, uh, I am having a website put together, and um, I'm going to be a little bit more, I'm going to be more accessible, um, again, when it comes to not just what am I doing with pool, but also um, outside of pool. So, you know, the on and off court uh, mentality. And... Um, there's a lot that I'm doing. I mean, I'm not just, it's not just about pool in my game, but even just me as a person, like being a better person and also getting in shape. Um, I've already changed my body drastically um, from October till now. And so I've got like the pictures. We're going to eventually end up putting up the before and after pictures. Sure. I don't think any player, pool player's ever done that. And over the next year, it's where people are going to see the transformation um, that I've made, not just with my health. But even as uh, even with my game, and so it's going to be new, and, and I and I'm, I'm I'm getting it now because here at um, at just at the expo two weeks ago, I didn't realize how many people um, I I'm affecting out there. Sure. I had I had so many people come up to me and really say a lot of nice things and say that hey you know I'm I'm playing more pool because of you and 
I mean, it's it was really great. So it's um, it's fueled me to want to go in this direction. I, I definitely commend you for that because it it isn't easy to be uh, in the public eye and to have sort of your life exposed. But at the same at the same time, pool in general, I think, can benefit tremendously for people being able to identify with the players and see who they who they are. I think that's what one of the things that needs the most development is for players and uh, players to have a better public face. Mm -hmm. And again, it, this was just another insecurity. You know, I realized that, look, if I'm going to choose to be a professional player and be an ambassador of a sport, you know, people, I need to, I need to be accessible to my fans. Absolutely. And yeah. I just, how I've, I've, I, it's not that I've overlooked it, everyone out there. I haven't overlooked it. I've always been conscious of it. It's just, it's a big step for me. And so now I'm ready um, to do it and put it out there. And, um, you know, no, no one likes to be looked at, you know, under sure. a microscope. But I'm going to put myself in that spot. And I think now if I'm going to be um, a champion, then I have to realize that, that you know, that's just going to come with the territory. Right. Go all in. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I've become like an all or nothing guy. Sure. So all my chips are for sure definitely <laughs> pushed in or I wouldn't be here in New York City. You know, I'd be home in uh, Palm Beach, Florida. You know, relaxing with my friends, my family, getting to do the things that I want, and my, all the lovely distractions down there, and things like that. No, I'm, I'm, I've totally have submerged myself into this more than I ever have in my life. So, yeah. Well, that's really exciting, and I definitely wish you a lot of luck in your next coming year, and obviously for. For your career in general. Now, what is uh, what is your website going to be called? Um, it's just gonna. It's just for, at the moment. It's just gonna be Hunter Lombardo. HunterLombardo.com. Okay. Um, I don't think. Yeah, I have to speak to my friend, the designer, if we are gonna change it in any ways. But I will. Um, I, I once I know what I'm doing, I'll, I'll put it out there. Um, you know, with Facebook and, and Twitter and so forth like that. And so yes, uh, yes, everyone, I am finally gonna. I have a Twitter account. I mean, <laughs> due, to, due to popular demand, yes, I am going to do it. All right. Well, and, I'll be following yeah, you on Twitter. And um, yeah, and and through this whole process too of me kind of revamping my game, um, you know, I'm focusing even more on the coaching and training because it's it's people are wanting it here, and that was one of the reasons why I did come up here because um, Jennifer Breda and I um, got together, and she really wanted to take her game up. Um, I think she's probably tactically and her conceptualization of the game is as great as anybody's. But there were some fundamental things that she always had question about and she wanted to be more powerful. And so that's what I've really been working with on her and she's just come a long way, man. She's striking the ball as well as anybody. Absolutely. So it, that that's that's it's very fulfilling. It's why I do this. Um, I, I think that there comes a time where, you know, you can look back at all the titles and accomplishments and you know, but if if you were to look back and see that the guys that end up giving back somewhat, they seem to just stand out more and they're remembered more. Like, you know, you could ask a diehard pool fan, like, who won the U.S. Open in 2006? A lot of them might not even be able to answer it. But if you were a person that went out there and actually you helped to the masses and you changed you changed pool right. in, in, in some way, um, you're remembered. I'm not saying that I want to be a champion, but I also 
want to give back and I want to be and I yes and I want to and I want to be remembered so yeah well thank you very much for coming on the show today it's been a pleasure getting to speak to you and getting to know you better and we will look forward to seeing the next stage in the progression of your career and what's to come for what's to come for you thanks I really appreciate it thank you and thank you for the time and I just also want to just thank everyone out there that um, has been supportive. Um, I really wanted to let the fans know out there you are very important to me, and that's why I'm taking the steps that I'm doing. So just please be patient with me. Um, you know, I'm a like everybody else. I'm a creature of habit, and I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm trying my best to you know to make these change but sometimes change is scary um so i will be showing you soon how much i do appreciate uh everyone out there and i just can't thank you for enough for all the the love and support um that you're giving me it's it's what it's what keeps me going and and not wanting to uh get back involved uh in being a working stiff (laughs) awesome well that's fantastic and thanks once again for joining us And thank you, everyone out there, for tuning into the show and being a part of American Billiard Radio. This is Pool on the Grind coming to you from New York City. I'm Allison Fisher. We'll be back next week. All right, everybody, I'm back, and uh, I got to thinking about it. You know, um, what do you think uh, the Moscone Cup team is going to look like? So uh, I uh, decided to uh, consult with the all-knowing, all-seeing oracle himself, Mark Cantrell. Mark, um, do you think that you got a handle on uh, who's going to make it on the team this year? Uh, first of all, all knowing is a little bit of an exaggeration. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, I'm, for the most part, I'm in the same position as everybody else is. You can, you can, uh, look this team up and down and find a fault somewhere along the way if you sure. work hard. Yeah. And I don't think it's necessarily this year about the talent of and level of play is about the team chemistry. I know what Mark Wilson is trying to do. Yeah. And so I, I can give you my uh, best opinion yeah. uh, as to you know what where we're at with the eight players. He's got to chop this down to five, and uh, he doesn't have a, a real easy task ahead of him. No, it's not going to be easy. Uh, and for the very basic reason of just stepping on people's toes, you know. I mean, it's hard to to uh, turn somebody away when you know damn good and well that they've got a lot of accomplishments under their belt. So uh, it, it certainly isn't going to be an easy task. But uh, but let's go run. Let's let's run down the list, and uh, you can tell me what you think about it. Um, obviously, Shane is is a pretty good uh, shoe in. So uh, we'll just pass right over that one. What do you think about John? Yeah, he's, uh, hold on. He's, he's already been named as vice captain. Yeah, that's true. That's what I mean. He, he's, uh, and plus, I think it'd be hard for anybody to argue with that anyway. But uh, Yeah, you can't, you can't argue with that whatsoever. What, what do you think about John? 
John Schmidt's a, a, a great guy. I know John Schmidt. Um, I think you, I think he is going to be not only he's a, a great player, former U.S. Open champion. He's a very nice guy, very friendly guy, sure. and he's got Australian Cup experience. Yeah, I think with that nice, uh, easygoing, fun kind of personality they have, I think he's going to be great for team camaraderie and uh, unison. That's my. I think that John, unless something something weird happens, I can't see him not being on the team. So he's gonna. You think he may make it on for the uh, the veteran status type thing? You know the. Uh... The uh, older guy showing the younger guy type thing. Or, well, yeah, with, uh, looking at the press release, he's the, he's the oldest guy on the team. I bet you he never thought that. And actually, <laughs> next time I talk to him, I'm probably going to give him a hard time about that. There you go. But, he, yeah, he, he, U.S. Open champion, that's a lot of pressure. He's won other major professional titles that come along with that pressure. And he's the Moscone Cup team uh, veteran from... You know, a right. few years ago. Right. I, I won't put those accomplishments along with his personality and demeanor. I think that he's going to be a real asset to the team. And, you know, he's Mark Wilson, obviously. He's not Mark Wilson. But I don't see any possible reason he wouldn't be on. All right. So we've got uh, a yes for a Shane and a yes for a John. What do you think about Corey? Again, could you see to me, Corey's a genius. Uh, in some ways, obviously, around the table, the, the things that he's done, he's done. What is, look, if a professional sport has to change its rules because you figured something out that other nobody else has in the history of the game, that tells you something about the guy's how his mind works. Yeah, so, he is a. I think he's a genius and can maybe come up with. And use a way to break or figure out the break, however the balls are rolling at the time, and how the table's playing. Now you remember they're going to be a seaside resort, nice resort, seaside town, and the Blackpool Tower is directly, seriously, across the street from the ocean. Mm, okay. That that affects the humidity. It affects a lot of things, and. If anybody's going to be able to figure out how to get the break going, it's Corey. Gotcha. And he's got the experience. Mm-hmm. And he's got the accomplishments as well. Um, and he's a nice guy. I'm sure he's uh, going to help you know, some of the younger ones along as well. So given that, I would, I, I'd pick Corey for experience, and I'd pick him because that break is so important, as we all know with nine ball. And there isn't many people out there, if anyone, who can figure out the break better than Corey Gould. Right, right, right. I'd want him in the corner just, I'd, I'd fly, even if he's on the team, I'd fly him in to coach. <laughs> there you go. The break. So are you giving him a yes or a no? Yeah. Giving yeah. him a yes. I know. Okay. What yeah, ab- I know. It's going pretty quick, isn't it? It's going up fast. What about Brandon? Brandon, well, he's played before. He's played under the pressure of your call. Uh, in the Moscone Cup. He's been doing real well. My concern is, and it's with, you know, with the younger players, and I say younger players, you know, he's 30 years old, um, is the experience. And that's what's going to be, a, from this point on, I think is going to be an ongoing 
part of it. But he does have the experience, and he's a great player. Obviously, he's a great player. Yeah. We, we, we know that. But I think the ex, the limited experience he has been under pressure has really boiled down to that Moscone Cup. That's the most pressure he's ever... Well, it's probably the most pressure anybody's under when they play. But he's a great player, nice guy. I really like him. You know, I don't want to... Uh, it would take offense or anything that I say. Um, but that's the only experience they had was your call. But I think that's a big, uh, he, he, he knows what's coming this time. Yeah. And yeah. he didn't last time at your call. I know, I'm, I'm, I can't speak for him, but I believe he knows he didn't play his best call that time, the last time they played. But he didn't do bad either. Mm. He didn't suck. Sure. So, so you're gonna give him a yes or a no? I got to go with yes. Okay. No, this is, All right. I know. Well, it's hard. That's what I mean. You know, it's hard not to not to uh, consider so many things that uh, each of these individuals has to bear. And and let me just throw this in here. I, I'm certainly not trying to throw anybody under the bus. Or hurt anybody's feelings or anything like that. This is just a this is just trivial, you know, just for fun, basically, to talk about. Uh, yeah, it's hypothetical because right. I guarantee you, if we asked ten people the same questions, there's going to be a different team. Right. Every time. Absolutely. All I'm basing it on is my personal knowledge of some of these people, and why you know just why not one of them. Yeah. So it's uh, but Mark Wilson telling you he's got a job ahead of him and you know it's easy for me to be slipping but my head's not on the proverbial <laughs> chopping block exactly and, you know and because no matter what mark does somebody's going to have something to say about it right absolutely so you, picked, you picked all these young kids and you're doing this that's why if they lose that's what's coming next for mark and i'm sure he's fully expecting it sure but if they win he's going to be a genius yeah, that's true. So you've got um, you've got four guys on the team so far. So out of the four that are left, you got Justin, Justin, Oscar, and Jeremy. And I won't make you go through all of them. Just pick me the last player. Who do you think is going to be the final one there out of your out of your group? If you were Mark Wilson, <laughs> which you know. Yeah, but what would you well, pick? Um, I okay. Let me. I don't think Justin Hall. Justin Hall's a fabulous player. I, I, I'm going to kind of go through it. I feel like I've got to. Justin Hall's a great player. I don't think he's got the experience. Uh, he needs to win a couple of things. I think a big events or get something that's going to really put the spotlight on him and put him under pressure. Um, not taking anything away from his talent. He's a good player. I just don't think he's got the experience. Um, Oscar Dominguez, I'm going to say, he is smart kid. Man, I said, oh, I'm a kid. How old is he now? Old he is. But with his dad's help, you know, Ernesto, um, he's got a lot of knowledge. And he does have experience from the Moscone Cup previously. So right now, he's he would probably be my fifth. Um, okay. And 
So he's yeah. your he's your number yeah. five on the team then there. What's that? He's so he's your number five, the last person on that you'd put on the team there, Oscar. Yeah, I'd have to I'd have to say that. Go I, with I, Oscar. But the problem my, my problem is, I think Jeremy Sosi is a fabulous player as well. Sure, sure. And and I think Justin Bergman's a, a fantastic player too. Sure. And it's a pick em. The only reason I'm, I think the only reason I'm picking Oscar is because his dad has so much experience and can probably, and has helped him, but and he's had the experience of playing before. But you can't get experience without playing right. on the Moscone Cup. Sure, sure. If you catch 22, Jeremy Scott said, wow, he's uh, you know, a great player. Um, I I, I just, it, it, Jeremy Sosa or Oscar Dominguez, and Mark, to bear in mind, Mark Wilson hasn't even made his mind up yet. So, yeah. I, you know, he's, he, that might be where he's at. It might be at. Is it Oscar or Justin, or is it Oscar or Jeremy? Right, right. No, I hear you. All right, man. Well, thanks a lot for your, uh, for your uh, speculation, and... Uh, we will uh, sit back for a couple of weeks and uh, and, and let things develop and, and, and see what uh, what it turns out to be. And uh, I'll I'll give you a dollar if you if you're correct if your team is right. Well, you know, real quick before this all started, I was talking to Luke Richards at the uh, Metro Sports uh, privately, and I said I can probably just pick the team right now. <laughs> so I owe I owe Luke Richards a steak dinner. I this is before any of this came out. I named the names I thought was going to be on, and half of even on the list. So <laughs> uh, that tells you how much I really know. Yeah. But Don Waddell, Don Waddell is vice captain. Yeah, yeah. Don't forget him. Oh yeah. Great guy, fabulous guy, and a good doctor. Absolutely. So. Yeah, he's a great addition to the team as well. All right, people, keep uh, keep uh, keep on keeping on, and uh, we will catch up with you next week here on American Billiard Radio. Oh, I started out believing the universe was space, that all the solid objects were founded in full grace. I started out believing. Earthworms could not crawl, that music plays, a donkey brays, dogs have days, horse has nays, and everyone has a ball. But it's dovetail, gooey, gooey, stringy, chewy, mushy kind of ball. Rap, flap, tap, sap, constantly moving, ever oozing.